Welcome to season three of Let's Talk Conversations on Race. I want to pause before we begin to give my condolences to all who have experienced loss in 2020. I mean, on one level, we've all lost something. Graduations, wedding ceremonies, dinners with friends, travel. But some have experienced a far deeper loss. The loss of a livelihood or the loss of a loved one. And you have lacked the closure that comes with celebrating his or her life in a service crowded with friends. I am so sorry. May 2021 bring peace healing, and restoration. Hi, I'm Nicole Doily, and welcome to Let's Talk, Conversations on Race. You can subscribe to Let's Talk on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, and lots of other platforms. The majority of Americans say race relations are bad. And yet, we find race very difficult to talk about. We're afraid of stepping on toes, of saying the wrong thing, of making a terrible mistake without even realizing it. And so, we dance around this elephant in the middle of the room, afraid to go there. Well, I'm going to go there. At times, I'll be interviewing someone who knows a lot more about a subject than I do. And at times, it'll just be me talking, putting thoughts out there for your consideration, and perhaps they will spark conversation around your dinner table. I'm hoping that as we chew on these topics, we will all come to a greater understanding. Now, let's talk. Since we're starting this new season right before the celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, I'd like to give a short tribute to him. Growing up, I heard my dad speak about Martin Luther King a lot. He respected him very much, and he was one of the 200,000 mourners who attended his funeral in 1968. I've been thinking about the movement he led and how extraordinary it was that King insisted that it be nonviolent. He grew up at a time and a place where you could be lynched for trying to vote, or even attempting to obtain a better job. He saw the pictures of Emmett Till's 14-year-old body having been tortured and cast into Mississippi's Tallahatchie River, all for crimes he did not commit. And he watched the footage of hate-filled mobs spitting on and threatening the life of a little six-year-old girl named Ruby Bridges, merely for trying to desegregate an elementary school in New Orleans. Then one day in 1955, 42-year-old Rosa Parks, who had also seen that grotesque picture of young Emmett's body and who had known his killers were acquitted, refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus. For this, she was arrested and her arrest sparked the Montgomery bus boycott. And this boycott was ultimately led by Martin Luther King. 40,000 black bus riders walked miles to work rather than riding the bus, and they refused the deplorable treatment of that city's transportation system. 
White vigilantes retaliated with violence and, and firebombed King's home, as well as four Black Baptist churches. Afterwards, King gave a speech to angry African-Americans who had gathered outside. He said, quote, if you have weapons, take them home. If you do not have them, please do not seek to get them. We cannot solve this problem through retaliatory violence. We must meet violence with nonviolence. Remember the words of Jesus, he said, he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. We must love our white brothers no matter what they do to us. We must let them know that we love them. Jesus still cries out in words that echo across the centuries. Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. This is what we must live by, King said. We must meet hate with love. If Dr. King had encouraged retaliation, our country would have been torn apart. In total, King gave 2,500 speeches galvanizing discouraged, hurt, angry people and breathing courage and hope and vision and dignity upon human beings who had been considered subhuman for two and a half centuries. Now, let's be clear. The discrimination that King rallied against was as legal as it was unconstitutional. Following the Civil War, three amendments were passed. The 13th, which abolished slavery. The 14th, which made former slaves American citizens deserving of all the rights that every other American citizen enjoyed. enjoyed. And the 15th Amendment, which gave all men, including Black men, the right to vote. Nevertheless, for a hundred years, Many states used poll taxes and literacy tests and terror to keep Black men from voting. In much of the country, Black people could not live or work or eat or ride a bus or walk or swim anywhere near a white person. And when John F. Kennedy became president in 1961, he was at first reluctant to support any anti-discrimination laws. He did not want to alienate Southern voters. But when the world watched in horror as police brutally suppressed the nonviolent protests of Dr. King, he finally got off the fence and took a stand. In June of 1963, JFK proposed the most comprehensive civil rights legislation to date. He said the United States will not be fully free until all of its citizens are free. He was assassinated later that year, but Lyndon Johnson took up the cause and moved the bill through Congress. And after a 75 day filibuster, it finally also passed the Senate. I don't know that the Civil Rights Act would have come to be without Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said that the act was nothing short of a second emancipation for black people. 
Between 1866 and 1966, America saw scores of race riots, every single one sparked by deprivation and cruelty. And as we wrapped up 2020 and I remembered Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and the others, I wondered what Dr. King would think. 52 years later, seeing Black lives still so unjustly taken and seeing Black churches still terrorized and defaced, he would no doubt see all the progress. All the Black men and women in politics and sports and law and business and science and technology and education and all the Black families thriving in the middle class and the upper middle class, and many even enjoying wealth. But I wonder if he would despair that some things haven't changed enough. I also think about the fact that many didn't even like King at the time that he marched. Millions of Americans wanted to see the states have the right to decide if they would desegregate, if they could still hang signs reading, no colored allowed. They wanted to retain the right to reject change. And they accused King of being a communist and used that label as an excuse to reject everything that he stood for. In a similar way, many reject the current movement which simply states that Black lives matter. I know there are parts of the movement's platform that are troubling to some, but I also know of people who have found other ways to stand against injustice, even though they don't have a Black Lives Matter sign on their lawn or use the Black Lives Matter hashtag. In other words, they don't deny the need for change, and they have gone out of their way to find other ways to support reform. That is a beautiful thing. Nevertheless, over 7 million people participated in last summer's protests. The civil rights movement, thanks to Dr. King, took us farther than we had ever been. But clearly, we need to go farther still. I'm going to end by reading a section of my favorite of King's speeches. It's called The Birth of a New Nation. He gave this at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in 1957. And the occasion was when Ghana, West Africa, won her independence from England. Whenever you get out of Egypt, King said, you always confront a little tension. You always confront a little setback. If you don't confront that, you would never get out. You must remember that the tensionless period that we like to think of was the period when the Negro was complacently adjusted to segregation, to discrimination, to insult, and exploitation. And the period of tension is the period when the Negro has decided to rise up and break loose from that. And this is the peace that we are seeking, not the old, negative, obnoxious peace, which is merely the absence of tension, but the positive 
lasting peace, which is the presence of brotherhood and justice. And is never brought about without this temporary period of tension. The road to freedom is difficult, but Ghana tells us that the forces of the universe are on the side of justice. Hi, this is Nicole Doily. Join us next time for Let's Talk Conversations on Race. Remember to subscribe and look for me on NicoleDoily.com.